thank you for this opportunity to come before your throne of grace. We can find mercy here and grace to help us in our time of need. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share your word worldwide. We understand, Lord, that it is a privilege and it is a blessing that you trust us to share what you have given us and what we understand as far as your word is concerned and ministry is concerned. So we honor you and we love you today, Jesus. You have done so much for us. We can never pay you back. We can only make an effort. And we do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Today we're going to talk about the unseen hand that opens every door. Amen. There is an unseen hand that opens every door. That's the last time I'll mention this, but you got to be on time at the door to walk through it. Huh? You can't be sleep. You can't be busy. You know. Like Shanae. <laughs> Jada, you're telling me you're going to really do that. Huh? <laughs> yeah, he's going to really do that. He'd be up there on time and everything. <laughs> Alicia, come on now. I'm going to have to start charging you. If you laugh that much, I'm going to start. Cover charge. Cover charge. <laughs> But in Revelations chapter 3 and verse 8, you see here, actually 7 and 8, this is written to the church of Philadelphia. The word Philadelphia really means what? Brotherly love, right? We all know that. It says to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, and he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts and shuts and no man opens. So you can look at the life of David. If you want to study open doors and being on time for open doors and what open doors, you can look at his life and understand some key things. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at him and gain understanding of some key things that God will do. He will, will, will place in your life. So that your life works right. It works according to his good plan for you. I think so many times we we forget that God has a plan for us. Last week we talked about your life being ordained. You're already ordained into certain things that God wants you to do while with your time here on this earth. It's not up for debate. It's not up for grabs. It's not up for vote. It's not up for cancellation and 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 uh, modification. Uh, it's already ordained. So the things that God has that he created you for, he ordained your life for, he picked gifts and abilities, talents, opportunities, all those things on the inside of you for a purpose. You're not here for you. You're here to enjoy the you that God created you to be. There's a difference. Now, we all been here for us. You know what I'm saying? You lived that life already. And you knew that wasn't getting you anywhere, so you cashed it in so that you can now live for God. Well, when he says you're living for me, he's got stuff he's already planned for you. You know what I'm saying? And and his plans, you just can't put him on the back burner and pull him to the front when you think it's convenient for him. you got to roll with him the whole It's ride or die. You got me? He that kind of guy. So you don't just put him off or, you know, and all these things. See, all these things we're looking for, you know, and our our BFFs and besties and all that, that's God. Yeah. 
You understand what I'm talking about? Because, you know, they, they now they got a, 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 you know, I, I watch the murder shows, the bad people, true to life, blood and gore. Well, you know, I like the investigative part of it. I really do. I, it intrigues me. It also intrigues me how there are people, how God cares about every life. You know, you'll see these dedicated police people working very hard to solve things. Why? They are driven by God to make sense of this life, to to bring some sense and bring dignity to a life that was taken far too soon, that kind of thing. But but um, they got a, one of the newer shows. My BFF murdered me, or I killed my BFF. You understand what I'm saying? So even your BFF will turn against you. But God won't. You understand? The God won't. I don't care what you try to put in the place of God, it will not do the job in your life that would be done if you would leave God in first place, put him in first place, keep quit pushing him around like a piece on a chessboard. I'm going to pull him up first now, front now, because I, I need some money for something. Huh? Well, he's not a slot machine lever. He's God. And he has a plan for your life. If we would let him be in charge and just roll with it, we'd see the good results that he wants us to see. But you can't see that pushing and pulling, doing this little bit, this little bit, trying to figure it out for yourself. You've got to let him have full control. So God has opened doors. The key of David relates to the open door that no man can close very much. He opens he that opens and no man shuts and shuts and no man open. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door and no man can shut it. Let me tell you what an open door from God will do. It will stay open until you walk through it. You can keep dancing around it if you want to. You can keep uh Talking about it, you know, not being able to do, and, you know, I'm not sure I need another prophecy, another confirmation, another roll of the dice, another lottery ticket. I don't know what, you know, you make your decisions on, but you understand what I'm saying. You can try everything you want to try, but that got, that door will stay open until you walk through it. And to be honest with you, the longer it stays open, the worse you feel about not going through. That door, open door, convicts you and compels you to walk through it. It just ain't open in a pleasant way. You know, like casually open and, you know, with your permission, God would have you come. No, uh-uh. When that door opens, the power of God is on the other side of it to draw you through there. And the longer you stay away from going through that door, the more you convicted about it. Huh? And I don't know about you, but I don't like feeling bad about anything that I do as a Christian. I just don't like that feeling. I don't like that sense that I'm not doing the best that I can do for God. Look at what he's done for me. Huh? It wasn't an easy thing for Jesus to lay down. You know, the king of glory coming down here with, you know, it's like being at a bad party or something. You know, with a bunch of heathens running in and bad relatives and or the Thanksgiving dinner with all the outlaws that come because, you know, you feel like you need to do something nice for them every night, that kind of thing. 
Even worse than that, people mocked him, didn't believe him. You you go through life loving everybody and, and demonstrating the love of God to them, and they spit on you, mock you, make fun of you, plan to kill you. That's not pleasant. We don't go through that. He spared us that. He went through that to spare us that. And he makes a plan for your life that guarantees no matter how we mess it up with the things that we do and don't do, he'll work it out to your good. Nobody can do that for you. All right. Is that amazing? I mean, how many times we, we forget this or don't do that or slack up on this or, you know, and I'm not talking about just church things. I'm talking about in life. You know, God gives you a family and children. You spend half your time trying to do other things instead of focusing on what you begged him for and you pleaded for and you, you know, did all that praying and all that kind of stuff to get it. Now you got it. You neglect it. That one was free. But see, he still says, I love you. I've got confidence in you. I have faith in you. I've got a good plan for you. Let me have this, and I'll work it around to make it good for you, even with all your mess-ups and neglect and everything. So he places us before us an open door. No man can shut it. No man can shut it. So you can't blame anybody for your life. Huh? Oh, Pastor Bob, you just don't know. I I didn't get enough hugs from my parents. <laughs> and now I'm marrying my husband. He's not a hugger either. How are you going to hug a porcupine? Hey, that man running for his life. He running his fat. That's bad as trying to live with them Kardashians. Huh? They either make you a woman, artificial woman like them, all the implants and transplants and underplants and tucks and nips and lips and hips. and No wonder that man don't know if he's a man or a woman. And Paul Lamar, you, you awake? Run! I'll, go, I'll get a ticket to Vegas and help the brother unhook the IVs and run for his life. How'd I get over there? But you know we all got stuff. God's aware of your stuff. The cross did away with your stuff. You're a new creature in Christ. We can't lean on somebody doesn't like me and I can't advance or Somebody won't give me a chance and I can't or uh, I'm not cute enough. I'm not smart enough. Well, the job God has for you, don't take cute, don't take smart, because if it took all of that, he'd have made you that. You understand what I'm talking about? He's just talking about living for him by your spirit, which is very cute to God. Huh? You cute to the one that matters. So he's done everything he needs to do for you. Huh? place before us an open door he's the unseen hand that opens that door you don't know which door to open yourself anyway 
when you say open door, I can say open the door to everybody here, and you it'll mean something different. A different picture will pop up in your excuse me in your mind. Many of us is just a puzzle. We don't even we're waiting for the next sentence, you know, before we can figure out. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those Christian phrases we use. Oh, God's got the open door. Oh, oh he's going to open the door. In 1 Corinthians 16, it tells you something about the characteristics of an open door. And this is why I think it's, it's a blessing and not in many, many respects. Because the open door of God will, will challenge you. Because like everything else in God, you have to walk through it by faith. Yes. Huh? You gotta have guts, courage, gumption, faith, anticipation, boldness, confidence. You gotta have all of that to be obedient to God. This is not just something you can wake up every day and, and you know, if it happens, it happens. If it don't, it don't. This is a planned life. This is a life that God has already ordained for you. There are things that he's expecting everybody that names his name to do. And we're not sitting up here waiting for the, you know, great by and by one day. We're, we're active in the life of God now. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9, it says, <clears throat> Paul is planning to wait at Pentecost for something because he senses an open door. He says, for a great door. And effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. So any door that God opens at the threshold of the door are adversaries. And we've talked about this before. The adversaries are the voices that tell you you can't go in. Who do you think you are? This isn't for you. This is for people that know more about God than you do. This is for the smart people. This is for the cute people. This is for the holy people. This is for the this and the that. So these voices will try and talk you out of moving by faith to the next place that God wants you to be. The open door on the other side of it is, is Paul said there was a great opportunity for him. And, of course, he preached the gospel. So his opportunity, he knew his purpose. His purpose was to go from city to city, however God moved him about, to preach the gospel, expect souls to be one, expect uh, God to heal people through his hands, and he would establish churches and leave men and women there in charge of the churches, and he was able to move on to the next door of opportunity. But the adversaries at the door for Paul were people that beat him, that confronted him publicly, that lied about him, brought him before magistrates and kings and all those kinds of people to stop him from spreading further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our doors of opportunity are very, very similar. When we think about doors of opportunity, Amos 9.13, we're always thinking, rightly or wrongly, about temporal things, material things. Something good, when we, we live with Oral Roberts, with something good is going to happen to you. Well, it just depended upon what was not right in your life, what you think something good is. But the good things that God has for us are always spiritual in nature to some degree. And this is why many times we miss the unseen hand. We don't 
hear that little creak of the hinges of the door when it starts to come open because we are looking in the natural for something that we can receive and embrace in the flesh and in the natural when God is opening doors that will far surpass any natural thing that we get. It's a door of opportunity for spiritual growth, refinement, development, things that are going to benefit you a whole lot more than just a temporal material blessing. We all know it. We've, We've seen, we've been blessed by God with material things and they come and they go. You enjoy them for a season, and after a while, that, that you know, uh, uh, Michael Kors that you wanted so badly is just another purse. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, and thank God for that. Thank God God takes that taste for the carnal and material away from us, but we've got to learn how to develop a taste for the spiritual things. Amen? And keep that going more than anything temporal or you know, if you let that, that lust for material things go off the grid for a season, you might feel a little hungry or a little, uh, you know, uh, disappointed or a little dry or something like that for a season. But learn how to let God open that next door for you to be refreshed in him, for you to grow in him, for you to understand what you're really here for. You're really here to win the loss for Christ. You're here to pray for the sick and they recover. You're here to make a change. You know, when the, you hear those songs, we can change the world. Well, you're not going to change it with your, uh, 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 what do they promote now? Detox. Yes, yep, yep. Stuff. The tea you sell. All that kind of stuff. You ain't changing. Uh, you barely change your own self. I don't, I don't, you know, I've never had, anybody had it? Tell the truth. I'm, I'm not going to mess with you. Yes, I am. No, I won't. No, but, you know, I mean, you know, the word detox already sounds like it's wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're complete in Christ. I lost 40 pounds on detox. Listen, save your money. You could have lost that anyways. You quit eating. Come on now, we all know how to do that. How did I get over there? I want to get over here. You know what I mean. Come on now. You know, I've seen people that used to be encouraged as ministers. Now they selling detox. Stay out of my inbox with the detox. I don't. I have already been taught detox by the blood of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? When I get finished playing around with my midnight snacks and all that stuff, I keep in jars. Or y'all seen that stuff in jars around my house. When I get sick of that, then the pounds will come off. You understand what I'm saying? But we're working on it, right? We're working on it. But in the meantime, I'm serving God with all my might. Waiting for no detox to change my life. I'm not toxic. People will make you think something's wrong with you. If you if you're not insecure enough, they'll make you that way if they can. Detoxing me. I like my toxicity. (laughs) 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 A message in your inbox that tells you you're toxic. Well, that's not nice. I always send you messages that tell you Jesus loves you. 
You send me, I'm toxic. Oh, Gina. <laughs> you mean to tell me I'm all toxic and everything? Guess I am. I don't know. How many times have you had this happen? You'll be wanting to do something. Maybe to go to school, choose a career, make a purchase. But we don't seem to have peace about it. We're not motivated or just a thought that goes through your head. You know, the little pleasant thoughts as you, well, maybe one day. It's almost like a wish, you know, that kind of thing. So we need a little extra oomph to get going. But that doesn't happen either. So that's just a happy thought or a good idea or something you might like one day that goes through your mind and, and, and it goes out again. And so we wonder what happens to those thoughts. Well, those things often are part, your plan, God's plan for you that comes through your mind like that. He's got to plant that seed some kind of way. And that's the way a seed is when it's planted. You see it, it goes in the ground, you cover it up, you barely notice that that experience happened when you plant a seed. But oftentimes that's the beginnings of God awakening you to what he has planned for you and what your will, his will is for your life. So many times what we do next is set aside that idea as a nice thought or something we might get around to someday or add it to our bucket list, you know, things we would do if. If I had more money, if I had more time, if I were younger, if I were smarter, if I had got good grades, all that kind of stuff, we, if we would do if. So we're not sure if we really want what we're wishing for because it seems impossible. What we have here may be the seeds of faith for an idea of something we feel may please us, but we are very shaky about it. So we have more doubt than we have faith, and that doubt will push the desire to the back burner of your mind. It'll just push it so that it's away from you, and it's and many times that's God secluding that idea so that he can begin to incubate it and grow. And so we push those, some of those real wonderful thoughts that'll come to us. You know, sometimes you've got a, a, a five bedroom, five bathroom, seven bathroom, cause you got two on suites, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and all of that will come through. And, and that could be, I'm not saying it is, it could be God planting seeds of a good life, a better life, or increase or prosperity in us, but we push them aside with doubt. Why? Because it's not time for that thing to blossom in our lives yet. But God put it there, and if he put it there, he put it there for a reason. He put it there so that he can grow that thing on the inside of you, and oftentimes, as it starts to grow, we'll start to see little glimpses of it again, a little bit here, a little bit there. Like Jesus said, when the corn comes up, first comes up the shoot and the blade, then the ear, then the full ear of corn with all the kernels, and then it's mature. And that's how his plan grows on the inside. That's how things that he has for us grow on the inside. That's why you get restless waiting for God to do big things in your life. And you're, you know, young people always restless. They want to be married. Then when they get married, they look like the rest of the married people and they say, you know what? Everybody was right. <laughs> I do like look like everybody else is married. You understand what I'm saying? But the anticipation and the desire is something God needs to grow that thing on the inside of you. And once it's completed, 
it's fulfilled, you walk through it, and then God starts another plan for you to possess it, to make it better, to make it what he wants. He always has the idea of improving, making things better, make them more enjoyable, expanding on them. There are many people that, that started out rough in life with a, a, a bad marriage. God helped them, and now they have marriage ministry. Look at the, the Stein camps down in Florida. They go all over the world giving marriage seminars because people, it's a need. People need it so bad. But if you had asked any of them 30, 40 years ago if that would ever be a possibility, they would have told you no because they were divorced at the time. And so God plants these seeds that way. There are seeds that are planted on the inside of us. And when we have more doubt than faith, we push it out of our minds and then we go about life as usual. But that doesn't mean that that thing wasn't God. It doesn't mean that it's not going to happen for you. It doesn't mean you don't have to keep pulling something out, speaking over it, prophesying to it. You understand what I'm saying? For God to work on it. He's the author and the completer of your faith and everything that your faith brings into your life. He runs the show. And many times we think we're pushing things out of our mind, but but God really has snatched it out. Huh? So that you can't work that thing with your own little. Huh? Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Put it together and what have we got? A man who won't work, won't pray, won't. Huh? Or a woman that won't cook, won't wake up, little Howard. Do talk to me, okay? All right. <laughs> hmm? You got what your craft produces for you, huh? Honey, we can all do it. You understand what I'm saying? Even at my age, <laughs> probably scare some poor man to death. You know what I'm saying? They hear you preach and they think. She ain't the one. <laughs> oh, hi, woman of God. When they start that, you know, it's like, <laughs> I keep, keep looking for God. But you need to know that God is the one that changes times and seasons. He, you don't change nothing. Huh? You can barely change your sheets and your light bulbs, and I'm not going to even go there. Especially if you live by yourself. I look at them sometime and I say, well, Coco slept on the top. You don't see him sleep on the sheets. He's even on the top cover. Ain't nobody under there but me. You know what I'm going? But God changes times and seasons. He He knows when it's time for a change for you. He knows when it's time for an encouraging word from him for you. He knows when it's time to let you in on what he's doing. But he knows that if he lets us in on on too much wreck it not intentionally but we're so sometimes desperate for what we think is a blessing huh you ever bought green bananas and you really wanted to eat them bananas the first day you bought them but you know you gotta wait for them to go from green to yellow see I'm not one of those people <laughs> I shouldn't say this I can't wait to eat a lot of you know I'm like, uh. But anyway, if I if I want bananas, what I'll do is I'll give them a day to go yellow, 
and then I wind up peeling the green anyway. You understand what I'm saying? And this is what it is with life. You don't want green bananas till death do you part in your life. You understand what I'm saying? You want the brother right? <laughs> Ready to go? Huh? Cut it out, Chuck. <laughs> Give me that little feeble laugh like, <laughs> I don't know if she's coughing down. Be healed, Jesus. But God knows which doors to open and when. He keeps them shut for his glory and for our exercise of our faith. Got me? Every time that you speak the word or you pray again or you refresh your faith in what God has promised you, you're exercising your spirit so that you have a greater capacity now to receive what God has for you. He's not withholding it just to be mean or just because you did something wrong and he's, you know, like bad parents do. huh? I mean, you know, you do the best you can with what you got. Some people have some kids that's hard to figure out, you know, what to do with them sometimes to get them straightened out. But God's not like that. He's perfect in all of his ways. Whatever he does, it is for our good. He's not withholding anything from us that we could have and enjoy. He just doesn't want us to. He doesn't want us to live beyond our faith, if you know what I mean. You, you can't. That's just wrong for people to live beyond their level of faith. You have to live at your own level of faith. That's why sometimes, you know, you see your children are very happy at home while you're praying for them and all that stuff. And then when they get out on their own, they start to struggle. Well, it's because they're now living at their level of faith. See, when you're in the house like the prodigal son, you think money just comes out of everywhere. And then when he got out, got on his own and, and spent it all up real quick. Thank God poor Lamar got out of that brothel. Them hoes would have took all his money. If he got any millions, they'd have had all that money before. You'd have been reading about him this week, broke, busted, disgusted. They get your black American Express card, it's over for you. There's no limit on that bad boy. And I mean up in six figures, no limit. God is merciful, folks. I thank God for that. I pray for him. I'm still praying for him. Just keep going. You've been given new life. Keep going. Anyway, where was I? God changes these things. Knows when it's time to do it. And he will open a door that no man can close. He opens it when he knows it's time to open it. Many times we're looking for one one thing one way and he's coming another way. Because he's God. And thank God he's God. Or you'll think you're doing it. And that's the worst thing in the world for a child of God to get to the point that they think they don't need God. So God has something else in mind for us. And he starts with small things. And he observes what we do with the small things. Ma'am. And then he rewards our faithfulness. He rewards faithfulness.
So when you go back to life as usual, say God has put an idea or something on the inside of you, and that idea goes away, and you go back to life as usual. What is life as usual? For David, it was tending sheep. If you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, Uh, so far, David's a young, they think he's something like, at the time he fights Goliath, he's probably 16 or 17 years old. Yeah. And, you know, young children, uh, have, when they develop, they called him ruddy or red in his complexion because he still was blushing like a child would, a young kid would. And so he's very, very young. But he's being taught in, in Hebrew culture, you were taught tasks on the farm since you were small children you know parents were were with the idea see a hebrew or jewish family's idea with success was work see now in our culture we think success means your kids don't have to do nothing like you used to you know you think the way your parents raised you they was hard on you and that was mean and that was rough and you know sometimes you'll you'll pamper your children and not cause them to have a discipline on the inside of them that will lay a foundation for work for life. You understand what I'm saying? You know, when, when you have a kid that, that bucks up against you, that's that rebellious spirit. And God says that thing has to be broken before that kid can, can really be successful. You know, the, the orange is the new black. That's them kids that mama didn't make them. Keep doing it till they did it right. So now the state has to make them. Huh? But you're going to get it one way or the other. You understand what I'm saying? You're going to get it one way or the other. So David is there tending sheep. He's the youngest in the family, which could be, and see, you know what I'm saying? In the youngest in the family, and he's got nine in the family. You understand what I'm saying? That's God's prosperity for them. See, the more children you had, the more you you knew that you had help and you had uh, posterity. You know, those boys could grow up and be strong and learn how to take care of the things like they would take care of the family property on down the line. So that was a good sign. But David's the youngest one. And many times when parents have raised many children, you know, like, <laughs> like the Duggars, you get a buddy, you know. You get a buddy when you're growing up in a large household. But David still obeyed his father. You can see he had a good relationship. Good fathers make sure they have a relationship with all of their children and don't slack off because they tired because he's number nine. You understand what I'm saying? Godly men know how to impart what they need to impart to all of their children. You know, they might puzzle them for a minute, but dads are dads. They they have the final say, and they know how to step in there and bring that kid in line. And boys are very responsive to their fathers. They just, you know, fathers say, let's come out here and, and rake leaves. Okay, okay, okay. You know, just want to be around them. Amen. And so this is this is the advantage that they have there. And David was a good boy in the household because he obeyed his father, did everything his father t- told him to do. He was faithful tending those sheep. Somehow, faithfulness and confidence that he could do the job was just bred into him. So he was very gifted in understanding things. He had a lot of wisdom. 
part of it had to do with his ongoing relationship with the Lord. He had a relationship. David wrote actually about 73 psalms. There's some that are in question. There may be more, but minimum 73 of the psalms. Many of them that were put to music. He was a prophet as well. But he knew when to yield to other prophets for greater decisions that had to be made when he was king. Got me? He wasn't trying to be a one-man show. And so God... Finds David tending sheep. Life as usual for him was being out there looking over those sheep. He has a place in the family, and the family has land, and he has an inheritance in his father, Jesse's estate. And he probably dreams the same things young men of his age dream of, taking care of things, marrying, bringing his family onto that family property, farm life. With David, though, he somehow has developed a love for God and serving God. This is the one thing that makes a pivotal and critical edge, gives you an edge in your life, is how do you feel about God in your heart? You really love God and you're willing to do anything he would tell you to do whenever he tells you to do it? <laughs> Yesterday, you know, God does things sometimes to me. I, I know I don't know if you share the same Things, but you know he'll do things where <clears throat> later on I said, God, you got me that time. You know, you got me. And uh, I was looking at Mr. Gary and and uh, and Miss Karen dancing, and I thought about it, and I said, I've always loved to dance. And one of the things that that <laughs> in life, when I was a teenager. I didn't go out much. I stayed in my books and stuff like that. But I loved to dance, and I always thought about having a man that was a good dancer or a dance partner. Well, when I got married, oh, my goodness, Gigi will tell you, two left feet, and it, no excuse for it because he, he wasn't, you know what I'm saying? He's... <laughs> And you think for sure the brother can dance. <laughs> Stepped all over my feet every time we got up there. And he he started to feel the music and get all excited. And he, I said, oh, Lord, let's sit this one out. So I thought about that to myself. And I was watching Mr. Gary and Miss Karen. I said, God, I said, I've never had a, a man that would dance with me. <laughs> you know. And pray for everybody and all this, and now all of a sudden you fall apart, right? <laughs> and Jesus said, I've been saving you for my dance party. Oh. Got me every single time. It gets me every single time. When I talk about relationship with God, that's what I'm talking about. Those little things that you do between you and God. Well, David had those little, see, that's relationship. Sometimes you look at yourself as not being spiritual, whatever that means. You're human. You you love God. That's enough. He'll make you spiritual. You understand what I'm saying? But it's it's the little things, the things between you and God that only he knows about you and only you know about him that form relationship. These things put an impression on the inside of you. It cannot be denied that you know God and cannot be denied that you love God, whatever that is. With some people, God is, will always show up in your time of need. You know what I'm saying? You can, 
feel like it's desperate and the, the, you know, creditors at the door and the wolves are out at, you know, what the buzzards are on the top of the house, whatever it is. And then at the last minute, almost when you're about to give up, God comes through. And so those things, those were, that's what I call relationship. I'm not talking about anything real deep, anything real that nobody else can have. We can all have relationship. And so when we have relationship, that forms the foundation of what God can do in your life. Out of your relationship grows other things that you do for God. Your commitment to to your church or your ministry, all those kinds of things, those grow out of the foundation of relationship. If you don't have that foundation, you're not going to be consistent with anything you do for God. You're going to just go along with the crowd, whatever the crowd decides that they want. That's what you're going to do. Whatever the crowd decides they don't want to do, that's what you're going to do. You're going to be a crowd pleaser instead of a God pleaser. Amen. And religion is full of it. Churches are full of crowd pleasing people. They do more crowd pleasing than anything else. Take them little hands out of there. (laughs) Get them out of there. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. But anyway, God, David knows the relationship with God. He's tending sheep. Amen. He's tending sheep. And he has a place in the family, an established place. God is going to do something with David. Amen. He's going to do something with him. And he and David knows it. Why? Not because of any great thing that's happening in him. It's because of relationship. When you have relationship, you know you're going to be taken care of. You know God's going to take care. You don't have, at this point, I don't care how long you've been saved, 10 minutes, 15 years. You ought to know God's going to take care of you. That should not be a doubt. You ought to know God has a, a husband or a wife or good plans for you. That should not be a doubt, and you should not have to go looking on your own for something or trying to maneuver yourself into a place. You young people got it made. You know, if you're you're still at home, you got it made. If you're out on your own and God's established you, you got it made. If you're at home, stay home until you leave married. You understand what I'm saying? You don't need the headache, the bills, pressure. People are wonderful when you're dating, but when you get married and live together and got to get bills and bring money home and paycheck home and they don't want to bring it all to you, and you, it's a little rough, even for myself. <laughs> Who is an expert at finding the money? You got to be. Come on, girls, now come on. Girls. I know. Oh, I oh oh. I heard that. Mm. I got my own job. I make my own money. Don't you let no brother hear you say that. Don't you ever tell no man that. You might have to one day, but don't be flaunting with that. Don't put that up front. Up front, we don't talk about mine. We talk about yours. But I'm fine. Where's my drum, little Howard? You better wake up. Listen, back there doing his thing. Listen, I'm talking about you, too. Huh? 
It's the glory of the man to hide his paycheck. It's the glory of the woman to seek it out. It's in the Bible. The new, new interesting version. It's in this NOV, new outrageous version. But it works. It's working. It's working. Huh? So David's relationship. You gotta, you know, you look at the Psalms and you see what this man went through and everything he went through, he knew God was going to bring it out. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. The, the situations that he was in. 17 or 20 years running from a man who was king, who was his superior that wanted him dead. You know, if most of us can take a class and, and have a professor to give us a C, we think they out to get us. I just don't know what to do. Can you pray for me? Now, if anybody was going to come up to the altar, y'all still come, okay, with that. Can you, can you pray for me? He said, I don't know what, whatever I do. It doesn't please him. Huh? That's not true. You can please some of them, even carnal people. Huh? Like, what does the Bible say, say about when your ways please who? He'll cause everybody to be at peace with you. Huh? I knew how to work professors and get extensions, and I was a sinner. Huh? It was during the uh, the black activist days. Honey, I put my Afro wig on and go stepping right up into the office and tell them about the movement. <laughs> power, to the, power to the people. Stokely. I had my extension, too. Huh? Probably some people still waiting on papers I ain't turned in yet. This is no puzzle, folks. You're asking about minor things here. God wants you to get you involved in something major. Huh? Relationship with him. Amen. Your life doesn't depend on one grade. Are you kidding me? You can graduate sum cum magna cum. No cum or thank the Lottie. Huh? <laughs> thank the Lottie. I got <laughs> you can have all the magnets if you want them. Uh, I mean, and that's wonderful. You know, apply yourself. You get good grades. You deserve them. Right. Huh? But your life ain't, it ain't that serious. That's right. It ain't that serious. God can help you with anything. Yeah. Just put that before him. So David has a uh, uh, relationship with the Lord. And in his life, there is an unseen hand that's always moving. The unseen hand moves and opens the door of worship to him first. Extremely important. It's extremely important you be a worshiper of God. Don't be embarrassed to lift your hands in the sanctuary. Huh? Huh? Just lift them as high as you can get them. Start learning how to work with the Spirit. Of worship and praise and understanding how God changes you in the atmosphere of worship and praise. Don't let your relationship be a dry relationship or a sterile relationship. Second is obedience to his authority, those in authority over him. Obedience will get you more than standing out 
You understand what I'm saying? Everybody wants to stand out and be exceptional. But if you can be obedient, you please God. See, God sees you, and he sees in you what others don't see. So you can you can be the faithful person who always applies themselves, always on time, always punctual, always crisp and looking alive when they come in, that kind of thing. God rewards that, folks. It, it might seem like it's unnecessary to you, but don't make everything in life unnecessary. I mean, find something that you want to get up and be excited about doing for God. Huh? Even if it's getting up and worshiping him and praying and saying, God, you know, send somebody in my life today that I can share the gospel with. Be open to be used. Be open to serve. Be open to help. Be open. That's what you're here for. We're not here to sit on a pedestal and wait for Prince Charming huh? to come by. Number one, he ain't no prince. And number two, he ain't charming. Huh? Brothers look as rough as we do when they wake up in the morning. You know what I'm saying? With all the uh, mani petties and you know all the metrosexual stuff and all that's that's wonderful when you're out on a date. But you know what? In Monday through Friday, after you're married, you're gonna have to wake up and look at that brother. See that scared somebody in the back row. Good, 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 yeah. Put a pen in that balloon. <laughs> I heard it pop. Well, Howard, you got to give me some proper sound effects up there, little brother. All right. Thank you. So anyway, <laughs> but David has his dreams. He dreams of a natural life just like we all do. But in addition to that, God has something for him. See, the natural life is already promised. Why do we look at that as though it's the greatest thing in the world, and then we struggle with our faith to hold on to it so God can provide what he's already set aside for us? Your husband and wife is already known by God. He knows the end at the beginning. At the beginning, he knows how this is going to end up. That's not why he's, that's why he's not rattled and shaken every time you, look at how I don't know what I'm going to do. Do you know how old I am, God? Do you know how? I don't know how much longer I can wait. Well, what you going to do? Well, I have, I have ideas. You're right. Just go lay down somewhere and read you another scripture. Get over yourself. Huh? Your flesh is always crying out for something. Your flesh will mess a marriage up so bad it'll, if you don't but know. Huh? Marry somebody in the flesh. Can't wait to put your hands on them every time you see them. It's just all hot and sweaty. You get sweaty over anything. Huh? Think about it. <laughs> I said it, but you think about it. Huh? That's not moving anything. Huh? Part It's a part of your relationship, but that's not all of it. God is looking at all of it. He's looking at how much stress that brother can take. Because you know we can pour it on. <laughs> 
Well, uh, I've been waiting for you to come home. And I want you to do this. And I want you to do that. If his stress tolerance is like here, and your pouring on is like here, y'all going to have a hard time. So what God is doing is getting you to the place where you can just mellow out and accept his blessing into your life. Be glad for it. Be happy for it. But you ain't up on the ceiling trying to <laughs> swing it from the chandeliers and that brother just walked in the door. You know what I'm saying? So there's an unseen hand that opens door to superhuman ability to number one subdue your enemies. If you're going to get something from God, you have to be familiar with the unseen hand that opens doors of opportunity for you to subdue your enemies. Huh? That's why when we go to a job and we think it's the, the dream job. Anybody ever been there? Whoo! I told you that job was mine. You know, that's how we humbly receive from God and <laughs> brag about our faith at the same time. You know the feeling. Told you that was going. And you open the door the first day and your boss rolls his eyes at you. Or her rolls her eyes at you. That's worse for a woman. Because we don't trust each other. Huh? See a woman sitting up there and says, oh boy. Huh? Female tricks won't work here. Huh? You don't know if you need to get the butch haircut and put on the lesbian gear or what you need to do. So you think I better go here and be a closet Christian. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Jesus. Huh? So this is the unseen hand opening the door. Remember the door no man can close. We're so excited about it. Get excited about that. Because the first door he's going to open for you is a door of opportunity to subdue your enemies. Huh? With David, it was the lion and the bear. Huh? What do you think qualifies us for promotion in God? It's our supernatural ability to conquer, exercise dominion, and retrieve what the devil's stealing. Hello? It's not waltz in the door and just pick what you not like very nicely. I mean, you might get something like that, but that's not the first one you're going to get. Father's going to open a door to see if you're going to serve him or if you're going to compromise. If you're going to take a stand or you're not going to take a stand. If you're going to believe him that he put you in charge of something and he expects you to give an account of it. That's your first door of opportunity. So you have an opportunity to trust God to empower you to overcome. That's This life is about overcoming, folks. It's not about much other than that. It's about blessing. It's about living for God. It's about having the provision of God. But you do it as overcomers. So don't be shocked. You know, the first Bible study I've I taught, and I tell you this, the number of witches in it. And I'm thinking, God, where are the nice 
ladies that just want Jesus. Well, I haven't really run into many of them. You know what I'm saying. You think they're nice sometimes. You know how people are. Come on now. But you never get off your understanding of what this world is made of. You couldn't possibly think with the hateful uh, place that the world is in now that this life is about anything except overcoming, conquering, subduing, putting down enemies, period. David's hand was so trained to war that when it came time to, when he had settled Israel after he was king, when he had settled Israel, and he thought it was time to build a temple to worship God. He he saw where the priests were, well, you know, they had a hard time getting the Ark of the Covenant back. A guy lost his life and all of this. And David said, boy, if we could get the priesthood back, we could start worshiping God. And we need a place for God to dwell. We need to build a temple. And God said, I'm not going to let you build it. Why? Because your hand has shed too much blood. I'm not going to let you build something holy. In a peace for me when your hands have shed so much blood. That's how David had been so given and trained to fight. Your job is your job, folks. I don't care. I don't care how you think you like what God is doing or what you think this Christian life is all about. But what your job is is what your job is. If your assignment is casting out devils and confronting witches, that's your job. You understand what I'm saying? So when you ask for God to bless you and the door of open opportunity opens and a bunch of witches are sitting there in the Bible study waiting for you, all you can say is, thank God I didn't eat anything before I came here. You know, I'm fasting, so I have authority and power. I have a confidence that I have authority to cast them out. You understand what I'm saying? And I still don't. I don't go to McDonald's and Starbucks before I come here. You can clap over here, too. And all the guilty parties say, don't send me no witches, right? I ain't the one, God. Go through the Mickey D drive through and get the, get the, what's that big meal they have? Mashed potatoes and gravy and hash browns and pancakes and sausage and toast and, and jelly and all that stuff on there. Witches will take you away from here. Cut <laughs> that stuff out. I cook, you know, and the people who stay with me on the Empowerment Sunday will tell you, I cook, I never eat any of that. Do I, gang? I don't eat anything before I thank you, little Howard. Thank you. Thank you. The witness. Because, see, I learned from experience, I don't know what's coming in that door, you know, from Sunday to Sunday and week to week. So when I read when the disciples couldn't cast out the devil and Jesus said, this kind go out by nothing but prayer and fasting, that's your unbelief that you can't do it. I'm not coming here in unbelief. I'm coming here in faith. Been doing it for 30 years. That's how preachers get so fat. We don't know when to eat, when not to eat. You fast half the time. You got people coming in here. You hope they straight. But in case they're not, you better be ready. Huh? Because <laughs> you don't want to do the job. Your help ain't assigned. I learned that from experience. <laughs> Me and Pastor Shirley would go. She'd be sitting there drinking donuts and eating coffee and enjoying the show. You know what I'm saying? And I'm here struggling, trying to 
this woman's up there foaming at the mouth and and she the hostess. Eh, children grow up. Come on now. You don't see a lot of it here because God has blessed us to walk in authority that they don't manifest. But they come in. You understand what I'm saying? When you're learning kind of young, you might have to wrestle with them for a little bit, but you learn. And when y'all come in here, you sit there and you hear the word. Don't move and don't do nothing stupid. And come up to the altar and I'll get you out of them, but don't, don't, don't perform up in here. I don't, I don't put up with it. So in second Samuel, first Samuel 17, so everybody can relax. Look, everybody leaving now. Ah, you can come back. <laughs> I wasn't talking about your baby. <laughs> Bring the baby back in here. <laughs> second Samuel 17. You know the story. The Philistines had gathered, and David's there just running an errand. This is how open doors happen. You're obedient. You're walking in obedience to God, just doing his everyday thing. David's probably had dreams of many things in his life, but he doesn't know how to make them happen, and you and I don't either. God has to unfold that to you. And really, God is the one that makes things happen. You're just the instrument that he's working through to see these things happen. So the unseen hand then begins to open a door in David's life to give him superhuman ability to subdue his enemies. If you know anything about God's history with Israel, most of those battles that they fought were supernatural, at least in some element. Walked around Jericho and the walls fell of their own accord. And all they did was go into a shocked multitude of people and just take everything from them. You got me? Many times they did not have to kill people because God would put fear in them and they would run or they would start to kill one another. There was always a supernatural element to any war that Israel fought. And that's true for us. Ours is all supernatural now. Amen. There's supernatural element to every. Now, you might have to go and talk to somebody and confront them with the word of God or speak to someone. But God is the one who does the convincing. He is the one who makes the final outcome. He causes their minds to change. He causes the decisions they make to work in our favor. God does everything. All we have to do is show up and obey God. And this is what David was doing. He goes to the battlefront to take his brother some food, and that's all. And on the way there, he overhears a conversation. He sees Goliath taunting the nation of Israel, and he sees Israel backing down. And Goliath is what they call a champion. What they would do would be um, to to bet all the marbles on one guy's ability. And they take the biggest, ugliest, meanest, most intimidating one they could find. Well, Israel didn't have a match for that. You understand what I'm saying? Or so they thought. Every time the enemy challenges God, he is forced. He's forced himself to respond to the enemy. God has obligated himself To respond to the enemy. And so God obligates himself to raise up somebody. That's why the Bible says his eyes run to and fro across the earth 
looking for somebody to show himself strong on their behalf. Well, how does he show himself strong? He gets you involved in things. He gets you involved in conflict. He gets you involved. You're just going about your normal routine, doing what you do, and he gets you involved in conflict. Because the conflict is there all the time in the unseen realm. You're just not aware of it because he will take you back there all the time. Because he knows most of us would run like crazy if we saw what was going on. We can't hardly stand somebody rolling their eyes at us. Gina. Huh? You can't take a little shenane living next door to you. I'm talking about some of them rough sisters that ain't been raised right and don't care about nothing. And ugly on top of it and don't got nothing to lose if you get in a fight. You know what I mean. I'm talking about her, your next door neighbor. In your apartment you've been praying for for two years. It finally came through and you are, I'm going to get my traits. I'm going to get my, kick out my TV already. I'm going to get the matchings. And worse than Shanae is standing there. They're rolling her eyes at you. And you got to walk past her feet and apologize to get in the door of your apartment. That's what I'm talking about. Talking about the lion and the bear. Huh? And so as David engages in conversation with the, the bystanders at the battlefront, now you know it couldn't be much going on because his daddy sent him there for lunch. So they're not fighting. They're just standing there one on one side, one on the other side. So everybody in Israel knows the story here. It's not like David went there and found this out. So the father says, well, I heard that, you know, nobody, nothing's going on, but go up there and check on your brothers. Take them some food. You know, when you're in a war and you can get takeout, things are going pretty slow. (laughs) So the Philistines have sent Goliath out to the battle line, and they're calling on Israel to send somebody out to confront him. And David looks at this. And he he can't believe what he's seeing. That's Write that down. When you're called of God to confront the enemy, when you see people not responding, you can't believe what you're seeing. Why? Because you have a relationship with God and you know what God can do. And you know it's foolish to sit by and let the devil speak and taunt and chase you around and all this kind of stuff. You know, when you have, when you're in school and all this stuff about uh, no bullying, you know, all these pansy people trying to tell you how to fight bullies. Bullies have been around forever. And if you listen to your mom and your daddy, they, they can teach you how to spot them and you don't get involved with those people. Number one problem, you get involved with stupid people like that. But I remember when if they got real bad, a gang of us who were being chased would get together and gang up on them, and they bullied no more. They went and tried to, to sell that stuff someplace else. But everybody alive knows how to fight back. You know when you've been confronted and it's not right and it's not fair, if you can't do anything else, you can set a trap for somebody, go tell somebody to come help you or something. But you stand against these things when you know they're not right. 
Christians in this day and age have lost their discernment and their ability to stand against sin, darkness. And I'm not talking about anything subtle. I mean, it's just wide open and and ready to be confronted, and we're afraid to confront it. Why? Because the devil has put so much fear. We listen to the devil's people too much. That's the problem. See, it's back to relationship. If we stood in the presence of God often enough, and had enough relationship with God and know the only thing you need to know is when every day I step out of the door, God loves me. And what that love is, it entitles you to direction, protection, provision. It entitles you to safety. It entitles you to go out and come in. You go out in one piece, you come out and come home in the same piece you went out in. You're not, you're coming home tonight. You're not going to be in an ambulance somewhere in that bed. When you know he loves you, you know all of, you're confident in all of those things. You don't have any doubts about that kind of stuff. And that's what David lived off of. He lived off of relationship and history with God. When he was at 17, he hadn't written, written any Psalms yet. He'd been living them, but he would have to get into a place where he could write those things down at a later time. But he had experience with God and he knew God. At least in knowing that God would protect him in carrying out his normal activities of the day. Think about the people that died in the World Trade Center. They were carrying out the normal activities of their day. You understand me? It's just like that. There are people who didn't go to work that day. There were people who felt not to go or to go later, whatever they felt. That was their protection coming to them. And obedient people know how to obey those promptings and obey those things. Many of them didn't know God, I'm sure. You understand what I'm saying? Many of them probably got saved when things got bad. Calling on the name of the Lord, that's how you get saved. There were people that went through those buildings praying with people. Because they knew they were all going to die. You understand what I'm saying? But when you're called to confront evil and confront the enemy, if you have a relationship with God, you know God's with you. I don't care how long it lasts. Some battles are over quick. Some battles are short. But no matter how long they last, you have to know that God is with you. You got to know that if you stay faithful to God, if you stay obedient to God, God will prevail and you will prevail. Huh? You will get your victory. Huh? So an unseen hand opens a door to superhuman ability in David's life to subdue his enemies. As a shepherd, your enemies are predators against the sheep, the lion and the bear. Huh? Now you confront them now in, in the church. You know, there are people that have a big mouth and roar and want to tell people what they know, you know. And good pastors know how to confront that nonsense, huh? The bear wants to just overpower people. You know, you'll have people come and have a little ministry or something like that and want to start passing out cards and tell everybody what they're doing. You have to confront those things to keep the sheep where they belong. You know, sometimes sheep will follow anybody that promises them food. You understand what I'm saying? I thank God for ministers who come here and are respectful because they want the word and they appreciate what we do. But you got to know the difference as, as ministers. And, and you, there's all kinds of danger out here for people. You know, sheep come in and they get the word or don't get the word or whatever and don't think about predators. huh? 
Why? Because that's already taken care of. You're not supposed to think about them. Just stay where you're supposed to be. You understand what I'm saying? To many people, what is an open door for you may not look like it. This may not have looked like an open door to his future to David, but it was. David, when he was was put before King Saul, and he had mouthed off and told somebody just something off the top of his head, just like we do. You know, you'll see somebody who's sick and you'll say, well, why don't you come with me to healing school? I know God will heal you. And you think, I just told him God's going to heal him. Yeah, you did by the Holy Ghost. You ain't going to heal nobody. You got me? So you off the hook. You already told him God was going to. But suppose God don't. He will if you keep your mouth shut. Huh? So he has to confront the lion. And that's your preparation for the next step. We look at an open door as nothing but blessing, 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 goody, 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 whatever, whatever. But God wants to open a door of spiritual authority. Listen, you would rather have authority to whip 15 devils than to get stopped by one every time you stepped out to do something for God. Huh? Right now in the season, if you're dreaming about what you want, it's your unbelief stopping you. Trust me, once you start fighting the way God wants you to fight, you get faith in a hurry for a lot of things. Huh? Your faith will leap, leaps and bounds. I was, I would go to places and, and people didn't know me and, and they would say things like, uh, she said, oh, you're the deliverance minister. And I'm going, what? You know, you just come in here to sit there and have tea with the ladies. And some woman said that to me. She said, oh, you have a deliverance ministry. And I'm going, what is she talking about? I'm just coming here to have lunch and hear the word. You know, in those days, I like testimonies because they inspired you. You understand what I'm saying? And you knew you can go up to the speaker and get prayer. So that's how I saw myself, as somebody in need, not as somebody empowered. You gotta be careful how you view yourself. You gotta stop seeing yourself as a needy Christian who's waiting on this and waiting on that, but see yourself as somebody who is empowered already to do the things God wants you to do and start doing them so He can train you to do more of them. Now let's get off of this needy thing. You gotta have a prophecy. You gotta run there, run there, because we're so scared God's not gonna, you ought to be over that by now. Get over yourself. Get over your doubts. Get over your fears. Just walk away from them. Quit focusing so much on what you lack. And start asking God to reveal to you what you possess. David knew what he possessed. I tell you, for a 17-year-old kid who didn't didn't go to war and didn't know a whole lot taking care of sheep, he knew what he possessed. And he knew he had more than this. Big ugly thing that was trying to intimidate everybody. Everybody's scared to fight him. And David just conversing with people, what what are you going to give the guy? And somebody hears this conversation. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he defies the army of the living God? Everybody who was afraid of Goliath got under conviction. David's brothers start picking on him, but somebody heard it and believed it and thought this kid might have something and took him to see the king. 
That's what you want. You want to be that person where this unseen door of opportunity that has operated in your life that got you experience enough to raise up against the enemy. Kim Davis, three years a Christian. You understand what I'm who is this? Who who is the state of Kentucky to tell me I gotta sell side licenses? And God tells me I don't have to do it. The lion and the bear. Huh? Listen, there's no more closet Christianity, folks. There's no more praying tongues when you want something. Only Them t- same tongues you think you're praying for your stuff is probably playing you praying you into a place where you have to confront the lion and the bear because they're gonna have to be confronted. It's too many of them out here exposed for us as Christians to think we don't have to confront them with the power of God. Don't be afraid for yourself. God's taking care of you. You're not at risk. You think that lady wasn't worried about her job? She'd been at that job more than 20 years, worked her way up, and all of a sudden the devil starts threatening her. He'll do it with anybody. You think you're secure and where you are, you're just going to breeze through the rest of your years, and all of a sudden something looms up and tells you you can't do that no more. Huh? God knows what he's doing. That's the unseen hand that opens doors of opportunity. They ain't pretty all the time. They're not... The magic we think they're going to bring into our lives, they're not revolutionizing your life. They don't make you more beautiful, younger, prettier, longer eyelashes, more glorious in your appearance or anything like that. But they're God. You understand me? They're God. And they're God opening the door for the thing that you need most in your life right now. What the church needs most now is to stop playing around with trying to believe that they're prospering. Because they're getting broker and broker and churches are shutting down because they can't stay opening. They can't pay the bills anymore. They need to go back and get real relationship with God so that unseen hand can open a door of opportunity for you to confront evil. Who care if it's some of your own beliefs? They need to be challenged. They need to be put in their place. They need to put under the feet of Jesus so that you can go on and be a righteous vessel that he can use. When David came before King Saul, he told him a fantastic story. Some of your stuff will sound fantastic too. Praise God. The more fantastic, the more glory it brings him. But he's standing in Saul's armor and it dwarfs him. And he said, oh, Mr. Saul, I fought a lion. Oh, you should have seen that big lion. He came up and he grabbed that sheep and I took his beard and I yanked him. And I hit him in the head and hit him and hit him and killed him. Oh, yeah, and that's not all. And there was a big bear, King Saul, and he came. He wanted to eat up one of my little sheeps. And I went and grabbed him and took that sheep out of his mouth. Huh? Usually by the time if you caught up with or you chased away a predator, the sheep parts of it were eaten already. You can get a whole sheep back from anybody. Thank God he has supernatural power. When we get our stuff back, it's intact. It's not mangled. It's not broken. It's not out of repair. It's the way it's supposed to be. And King Saul looked at him and said, really? I said, okay, well, go and God be with you. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes the things that God will get you involved in seem too fantastic for somebody who's just a 
you know, like I was recovering from a nervous breakdown. You know, I was scared to go out of my house, but I could confront witches in a Bible study. You understand? Would not let them take it over. Yes. Try to take the mic from you and tell yes. people what they want them to know. All that kind of stuff. You understand what yes. I'm saying? Yes. And so some of these things will sound too fantastic. <laughs> so now I'm ready for y'all, right? <laughs> All right, I'm done, Will Howard. Praise God. All right, we'll stop. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to do your will, to hear your word. Lord, we thank you for preparing our hearts to hear the word of God so that this whole thing makes sense to us. It comes together for us when we hear your word, Lord. We understand what we're here for. We're not here just only To live a personal life, but we are here to live a life, a supernatural life as warriors of the most high God. David knew what he was called to do. It came to him little bit by little bit, but he walked in obedience in every step that he walked in. And we thank you that you give us the same grace and the same ability and you empower us to do great things for you in Jesus name. We thank you, Lord, also for the immunity that we have against this virus that seems to attack uh, when it wants to attack and lay back when it wants to lay back. But we have authority over all the tactics of the enemy. We have authority over all the works of darkness. And we take our authority right now in the name of Jesus. Say, men, say, I don't have Rona and Rona don't have me. I can't have Rona, and she can't have me, and by the blood of Jesus, I decree that I am healed. Amen, amen, and amen. It is so decreed by the court of heaven. Amen. Praise God. Amen.